0: This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes.
1: So, to begin with, everyone who stayed very long in the camp had a role, or found a role. From the perspective of your role at Standing Rock, what did that experience teach you that you would like to communicate to the outside world? What is your takeaway from the perspective of your role? And this will be a question for all of you, but we're going to start with Mark.
2: Um, I began over at Standing Rock really simply like helping rumor control within the tribe, like within uh, just literally a handful of camps. Um, I stayed by myself at first for a little bit, and I was really working with my relatives over in the Oglala camp and basically helping people figure out what is actually going on. We had... Rumors coming in every single day that the National Guard is coming down, the mm-hmm. drill is in play, and we just have to get to the bottom of these rumors and find out what is actually happening. Um, and that was, became the first part of my role. It kind of evolved into when my friends and relatives came in with some resources and a little bit of curriculum for, to bring in nonviolent direct action training for the masses. And that kind of evolved into helping facilitate uh, actions and at sometimes being a police liaison on actions. Um, the the takeaway and the lesson from that is you kind of have to have patience because you know uh, these things evolve over time and our opinions and our confidence as as leaders change. That. Um, like, my, idea, my, ideas, my ideas and my modes of operation were not the same and when I first started versus when I left camp. Um, one, of the, one of the largest takeaways that I have as a gift of everybody is uh, it's okay to be radically brave, braver than you ever have in your life. And because the fate of the world is kind of relying on us to step up right now, and We've been able to do this in a handful of ways, but mostly the most effective way that we've seen at Standing Rock, which I feel is the real heart of this movement, is being able to put your body on the line again and again, and supporting other people who are willing to do the same. Um, And of course there is to come in a good way, to be in relatives and relations with all the people around you, and for those who are people of prayer, to stay peaceful and prayerful. That was a big component of Standing Rock, but at the heart of it is this type of bravery where you're willing to sacrifice, to make huge sacrifices for a larger goal. We already do this in our lives, whether we're going to school, whether we're working, or we have a singular vision about the world. We're already making large sacrifices in our regular life anyways. Now we get to do it for Protecting the Missouri River, for protecting, for standing against oil extraction, for standing against fracking, for standing against all of this, all of the contributing causes to climate change on a larger and global level. Indigenous people um, on every continent are leading the charge against climate change. And I think it's like right now, like even in this room, like we see that we honor our Chumash relatives and we've asked permission. That is the, that's a basic protocol that is becoming more and more common, even within our own movements. That we don't come in without invitation. That we don't come in without being able to respect local, local, our local indigenous people. And in this broader movement, I should say movements that are spawning up now, we always we're seeing more and more indigenous people who are being centered in leadership, and at the very least, being acknowledged about whose land that we're on, because it doesn't matter where you are, you're still on Indigenous land. That is one of the big, these are the largest takeaways that I think I have from the Standing Rock movement. Also, I'm not sure if you noticed this, but we were actually having fun in the video. <laughs> like when you're going down the side of a road, and like your doors get blown off by these giant war rigs, and you're like trying to figure out and like sneak by them, it's resistance is actually there's a lot of joy in it. Um, I know there's incredible amounts of pain, both physical, psychological, and being harassed by the police that comes with it. But there is an exuberant joy of life that I'd have never felt kind of anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Elder to go first, or? She (laughs) (laughs) didn't. I'll tell
3: you why later, but she good?
0: (laughs) Well... Can you hear me? Can I hear me? Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Okay, well... My first role being at the camp was a lot different. Well, kind of stayed the same throughout the movement. Well, when I first got there, my first role was uh, to be a representative for the youth at that time. Because at that time when I first got there, there were only, like, my mentor Joy, Joy Brown, she was the only one camping there at that time. And for me, for me looking up to her, and I'm like, she's out there by herself. She doesn't need to be out there by herself. And I went to go out. Me, I'm, I'm young, I'm youthful, I can, I can help out, can contribute, even if it's just chopping wood. But then it kind of grew into something more after um, after the, the movement started to change dramatically, when um, I did the run, well, I participated in the runs to Omaha, Nebraska and Washington, D.C., I kind of realized that what my purpose is in the movement, being a part of the Seventh Generation Prophecy, I knew it was my duty to stand up and to speak my voice and to really honor my ancestors of just using my voice. I mean, Joy Brown, she kind of taught me just, like, don't be afraid to speak your mind. I mean, because it's... If you don't use your voice, no one will know how you feel. No one will know what you're going through. No one no one will know anything. Unless you speak, don't be afraid to speak. And one of my biggest takeaways is, is throughout that whole movement, like, I never felt more connected, never felt more empowered. I mean, it just like activated something inside of me to where I felt like I can live again. There was no pressure of, of social norms. There was no pressure of how smart you were. There was just be who you are, be who you're meant to be, not be who other people want you to be. And for me, it's like no matter Where you are, no matter who you are, you are native to this land. And it's no one can take that away from me, not even the government, not political powers, not even the police. To be able to exist and to be able to say, hey, I'm here, and say that matters, that is one of the biggest things that I took away from that because... Being a Native American in this world is hard. To be able to live and remember who you were before all this, to be able to live on with that and live in a way that will make our ancestors proud, that's one of the things I took away from that.
3: amazing so what I said is my name is Eagle Feather Woman my name is Joy Braun I thank the Chumash Nation and um, I wish you all a, a hearty handshake and with a good heart um, when we go to places, we always introduce who, who we are and where we come from. Uh, I come from the Cheyenne River Sioux Reservation. I'm a member of the Oha Band. There's four bands in Cheyenne River. Um, so in the grassroots, people called me on January 29th. I had already been going up to Standing Rock since about November. I think it was November, October, something like that. I remember calling the youth at Cheyenne River and saying, hey, there's another pipeline. You guys want to go fight it? <laughs> and they were like, yeah. <laughs> All right, let's make some cinnamon rolls. Let's go. <laughs> so made cinnamon rolls so we could have gas money. And uh, I remember us going up there. And see, I don't go anywhere unless one first, the community invites me. And two, I really don't go anywhere or do anything unless I check in with my youth. And the reason I check in with my youth is because they're my conscience, they're my direction, and they're the future. So if I'm going to go about and do my work in a good way, I need to listen to these youth. Too often in America or in other parts parts of the world, people don't listen to the youth. They just kind of... Okay, yeah, pat him on the head. You can't do that. Can't do that. There's so much wisdom behind these. I remember um, getting a report back from Washington, D.C., from the Pentagon, and one of our first campers, uh, Swan American Horse, she had these little kids, and her little one uh, got mad at the general. <laughs> And um, said, you know, the water is life, and don't do this. But you got to listen to them. doesn't matter how old they are. So one of my biggest takeaways from all of this, no matter what work I do, is you got to listen to the youth and listen to the communities. Don't go into those communities unless you're invited.
1: Our next question. Indigenous peoples who oppose the desecration of native land and the passage of the Dakota pipeline under the Missouri River refused to be labeled as protesters or even a movement and called themselves water protectors. Can you explain to us when you mean, what you mean to say with that term? What is the set of native values or practices you seek to bring to attention of the world beyond the single fight, if you will, against one of the one of another pipelines.
2: Um, there's actually an interesting take on that. That's actually more banal than the question you asked. Uh, federal employees, which so many of our people who have like on our reservations, there's very few jobs, and a handful of the jobs happen to be federal jobs. You can't actually, as a federal employee, protest a federally endorsed water, like production product, like project, like the Dakota Access Pipeline. And so for a handful of people, they're like, I'm not really protesting, I'm just water-protected. And it's clever. But the larger of it is part of this movement, because it's not... How I say this... I answered this question a little bit more eloquently before, but this fight felt like... And in a lot of ways still does If we lose this We lose our lives That this is not a political fight For us It is a matter of survival And so if we can take An empowered label Such as water protector Which is, which is more encompassing Than to say we're just We're another activist at a march That we're actually Choosing to transform our lives To be here To be present And to be willing to step up. That the label became something almost like a spiritual calling. That to say, like I'm a water protector, it allowed people to be magnetically attracted to the movement, to plug in and to gain this identity in saying that I'm invested in this. That this is not a passing fad for me. That this is not something that I'm going to forget about one month or a couple weeks from now, that I'm making a change in my life to dedicate it to protecting something larger than myself. That's my understanding.
0: Well, um, for me, being a water protector, well, before that, I was a Unchimaka defender. Uh, an earth defender and being a water protector, it's just like, in our cultures, we have um, societies that protect our people, that they have different duties they carry out. And for me, it it helped me connect to my past through the future, through what was going on right here now. It helped me really connect to the warrior spirit that we all have each inside of us helps us to remember who we are, to fight for our land, to not be so timid and to not be so so obeying to the law, to really remind us of who we are and where we come from, and this is our land. This is our home. We don't get another one. We don't get a do-over. We can't just erase it. If it happens, it's going to scar the earth for millions of years and for us that's that's something that that we we cannot happen in our in our blood it just kind of pulled us like our the earth was saying you need to help you need to do something or else you're going to die and for us that was like really we never felt that much fear in a long time and that really strengthened us like all right we got to do something we got to Give it our all, because right now our lives don't matter. The only ones, this land does not belong to me. We inherited it from our forefathers, but it belongs to our children. And for me, that, that is worth more than my life. To save entire generations just by one act is better than saving my own life and scarring my children forever. And for me, it was just... Something you can never explain, something you feel, something that's just magnetic through spiritual connection that we all have within each other, within Uchi Maka, Because water flows, water is inside of us, and it pulls us, and it demands, it demands us to protect it. For, for me, my point of view, I have no choice. It's just who I am, who I'm meant to be, who we all are. To me, water protector is a way of life. It's not a, it's not a choice. It's, it's the life you live every day. It's the air you breathe. It's the food you eat. It's the way you walk. Walk in a good way. For me, it's, it's my life now. It's a way of life.
3: Uh, we didn't want to be labeled protesters. Protesters go to a march or a rally or whatever. And uh, that wasn't who we are. Because we were changing everything. Everything from the, more, the time you get up in the morning and you hear Huggy Bear saying, Ihaniwaste, Kira Kiktapo. To at night, to the way we were treating everybody around us. In the general world, people don't give a lot of hugs and don't give a lot of affirmations. When you're around water protectors, you're going to get hugged. You're going to get a lot of love. (laughs) You get teased a lot, too. (laughs) But it really is a way of life. And it's Making those conscious decisions every single day, that this is the way that I'm going to walk. because it's really easy to get distracted. Oh, I'm going to go to a movie, I'm going to go to the bar, I hang out, go do this. It's easy to get distracted. The challenge is in not being distracted. The challenge is in making those choices to be kind to one another, to find compassion. I remember one time we were at um, Bismarck and um, the youth were running in to Bismarck and we were meeting them at the Capitol. And I watched this line of um, police in riot gear walk across this, this big lawn in front of the Capitol. I was walking up there thinking, gee, not that afraid of us. And <laughs> I remember they lined up on a big line like that, and we were all over here, and, and this this young girl, I think she was about 10 years old, 9 or 10 years old, she saw that big line, and that, that girl, she went down that line and shook hands of every single one of those cops. So we followed her, yeah. shook hands with every single one of those cops said, thank you for being here. Thank you for protecting us. We care about you. We love you too. We do this for the water, for your children and your children's children and your children's children's children. I remember early on, we would invite those police officers to come and pray with us. Occasionally they would. It wasn't until the other cops showed up the ones from out of state. Things got really nasty. Our Dapple security, too, because they like, they unleashed dogs on us. <coughs> but it's about making those choices when you're faced with things that seem absolutely insurmountable, that cause you the most fear you're ever going to feel, and the choosing to rise above that, to walk through it. The Nakota, Dakota Nakota people, we say that we are the Pate Oyate. We are, we're the Pate people. Pate is buffalo. What does a buffalo do when it hits a storm, when a blizzard comes on? They don't run. They face that storm head on. So that's what you choose to do. I'm a water protector. I'll be a water protector till the day I die. I'm an Unchi maka defender. That's what we chose to call ourselves when we first started fighting Keystone XL, Unchi Makahs. We're here to protect and to defend. That's what it is.
1: want to ask each other questions? I just wonder if you had that opportunity. If you <laughs> said somebody said something. I have other questions here which I'm going to get to, but I just want to plant that seed that there might have, you may not have gotten an opportunity to do that. So um, let me go to question number two while you're pondering that. I can see Mark's going click, <laughs> click, The camp had many flavors, many uh, ideas, many tribes, many beliefs. Red Warrior, Two Spirit, California Camp, Sacred Stone, Mothers Against Meth, Rosebud, Wild O'Gala, IP3, (coughs) the Indigenous Youth Council, Rosebud, Cheyenne River Sioux. Then there was the Horn of Osete Sequon. Thank you very much, I knew (laughs) I was gonna do that and I'm glad that you're the one that corrected me. How did all these varied strands manage these actions? How is the diversity managed, or was it?
2: It, it varied week to week. Uh, the, like the camp and actions were defined by like, who was there. Um, what kind of like there was times where it happened incredibly organically before these like camps really coalesced into defined characters. You got to remember, early August, um, you saw people just like showing up. In mass, and there was some organizational structure. Uh, there's some details we also can't talk about. Um, being water protectors, we have to understand that the surveillance culture in America is designed to incriminate us. Is designed to criminalize any type of resistance. So, like as much as like there's media that we create as camp, which are intentional pieces to propagate information. There's just stuff where like uh, loose lips sink ships. So there's other things that are, we not going to discuss um what I will say is it kind of coalesced around different (coughs) leaderships getting Intel around actions and then making a call out to do an action and sometimes they're very small sometimes there's actions that are there's actions that happen that are never published that were part of like shutting down shutting down construction sometimes it was delaying police But what it really comes down to is a handful of people deciding to work together and get a plan, and then mobilizing the masses around that. Um, If if done well and effective, you shut down the work for the day. If if uh, if not done well, people get hurt and work doesn't stop. Those were um, those that would be called a bad day. Sometimes people were willing to do actions where people were both injured and arrested but they made that call consciously as like when the video as long as everyone is informed about what type of resistance is going on that day and you know their crowd like there's <laughs> there's points where we know who our hotheads are and we got to talk to them and be like that s- that happened last week not today <laughs> and it's about actually being comfortable with who you're working with and, like, sometimes you do need, like, people who are willing... There's, there's tactical moments for escalation and de-escalation always. Um, the, the, and different camps have entirely different philosophies. We're also only a handful of people from these camps. Like, I can't really speak... I can't really speak uh, outside of my own perspective. So, I know you want a cleaner answer that's more representative... But it's, uh, we all just have these very unique ideas around it. Um, looking back, I don't know. I don't know if we could have done it exactly better because as much as we want to be inclusive to this camp that is like growing by, growing and shrinking by hundreds and thousands every week, we know that there's paid informants. We know that there's agitators inside our camp, infiltrators, as well as people who just like visiting and they're going to spread information around that's going to get picked up by DAPL security. And that, like, like, even the information that you have there, there's times in camp where people would have paid good money to have that much of mapping of what was going on in the camp in that movement. Yeah.
1: Thank you. Now, and actually, I, I don't have an expectation that I'll have a single kind of uh, talking points. Okay. So we really want to hear your perspectives and... Um, we're interested in an alternative point of view. I'm interested in alternative. Point of view. I don't know about anybody else, but it's my preference. <coughs> do, do we need to get you? It? Are you okay? Cough drop.: if
3: anybody, else anybody
1: have a cough drop? Yeah. We've got one right. <laughs> <coughs> the flowers. Flowers are lovely, but they're going on the floor. Jazlyn, do you wanna?
0: Yeah. Um. How I can accurately describe the different diversities and how it really helped in our movement from a youth perspective? It's like it's like wave upon wave of people, different combinations of different type of people from different areas coming together and acting efficiently, like having those hotheads, but having the escalators too but having strong people and your liaison. And it's it, it's like you kind of you have to figure out who is your best team, who can you work well with, who's going to keep you safe. And for the youth, the International Indigenous Youth Council, we, we had it all. We had our hotheads. We had our spiritual leaders. We had our police liaison, and we functioned efficiently. We learned how to de-arrest. I uh, won't get too into descriptive of what types of actions we did, but we helped each other, we kept each other safe, and we were from different areas. Sometimes we were involved in different camps. Uh, We had two-spirited there. And honestly, it's like the better diversity, the more you're gonna get out of the movement, the more you're gonna get out of making your point known. Because you have all these different people there. We had Black Lives Matter there. We had Red Warrior there. We had people from different places, different cultures coming together. So the people we're trying to address the problem to can understand, that can connect to all these different types of people and feel like they belong, feel like they they have an area that they can go to where they can contribute in their own way. We had our cooks. We had people who wanted to do our... um, our bathrooms and our, our, to make it, to clean up our camp. I mean, there's different areas of what you felt you were comfortable in. And for me, that I love the diversity, because for me, like, I'm a very diverse person. Like, I like doing all kinds of things, and there were areas where I can go to do that. And it was, um, if you're a spiritual leader, there was a spiritual area for you. And if you were a front lines person, there's, there's always something to do <laughs> And it's, for me, I really loved it because I never met so many different people in my life. I never met so many different cultures that were like mine. Never had the chance to connect all these different people through spirituality and through water and through the earth. I mean, it was an experience that that probably will never happen again. For our people, we have not gathered like that in over 500 years. And that was very... It was, per, it was prophesied, that gathering, and it was, it was something that, that was really well needed. We knew we couldn't do it alone. No one can do anything by themselves. But if you take that courage and throw that stone in the river, you'll create ripples. And those ripples were stretched through time. What we did there will echo through time, forever. And that's something that couldn't have happened without, without our relatives, without the Shumash people, without everybody. Because no matter what color you are, you need water. No matter where you come from, you need water. There is a saying that we had, whether you're red, white, yellow, or black, without water, you'll, you will all be dead. And that really united us. Cause our skin color doesn't matter. Where you come from doesn't matter. What you, what you eat doesn't matter. If you're vegan or not, we're all, we all still need water. And that's, we really threaded this movement together and made it so, so beautiful. Because this world is diverse. So is this planet. So are our lives. And it really widened my perspective of what being a human being actually is.
3: Yeah. All the different camps. Holy smokes, there were lots of camps. <laughs> it used to be a game. Get up in the like September, October. Let's see who else is here and who left. <laughs> um, how did we get along? So, no matter what tribal nation or indigenous nation you belong to, there's kind of a pretty well-established set of rules that you follow. They're the same rules that uh, Abrahamic traditions follow, such as respect, compassion. The one that Abrahamic rules don't really follow too much is generosity, but we have generosity in so. Respect, compassion, generosity. Um, If you start following those spiritual principles, because spiritual principles don't have a color. They're not owned by any race or any set of people. But if you follow those spiritual principles, respect, compassion, forgiveness, generosity, and you're willing To be open and honest. Because if you're not honest, you can't move forward spiritually. That's kind of how we got along. Were there arguments? Yeah, sure, there were arguments. There's going to be arguments. We're family. Family likes to argue. (laughs) But then we had all these cooks so we could go eat at all these amazing places. (laughs) I don't think I've ever eaten so many cool things. We had Cajun. We had... People here from California. Hawaii, yeah. holy smokes. I used to go to Rosebud to eat Hawaii food. Yeah. <laughs> um, there were like professional chefs that came in. But anyway, the, so there was a lot of, lot of good food. That's always a good way to get over things, yeah. good food. Music. So you could walk through camp and be listening to um, drumming, You hear forty nine songs. Don't know what forty nine songs are? Look them up on YouTube. (laughs) Um, If you haven't heard of No Dapple Girl's song, definitely look that up. (laughs) 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 But um, you could hear all kinds of things. You could hear saxophones playing, trumpets playing. You could hear guitars, and late at night you'd hear ceremony songs going and. How did we get along? We got along because we were there for a reason. Every single person that came there was called for a reason. You know, back at Sacred Stone, before the call went out in August, there was only 12 of us at Sacred Stone right before the call went out. And we knew we had 48 hours. We had to do something. So we put that call out and look what happened. That's those ripple effects she's talking about. (laughs) And everybody came. I remember very beginning of December looking up and standing on Facebook Hill and those veterans coming in. And it looked like a snake of light. The snake of light was coming to def- fight against this black snake. <coughs> For those of you who don't know, there's still a camp up and running at Standing Rock. One camp left, four bands camp, Cheyenne River. For those of you who don't know, Dakota Access is not flowing yet. We haven't been defeated. Not yet. So keep praying. Because this was all supposed to be done and over with March of last year. (laughs) Somehow we made it this far. That's from people like you. Wopila.
1: I'm going to move to a wet next question since um, Mark is going to be leaving at some point soon. Where does this experience go next? Physically and in terms of action to protect the land and water in this continent, worldwide? And what do you offer to the larger climate justice movement on a global scale, if you offer anything?
2: I think, um, I think the natural extension of like, the Standing Rock movement is the divestment, trying to move institutions such as this one right here out of investing in petroleum projects. Um, very like, Economically, the shift is going to happen relatively quickly where wind, solar is going to become much more profitable. And one of our jobs, I feel, as water protectors is to make it more costly for the petroleum industry to function. Um, What that kind of means on the ground is we need to start organizing people and training them to be prepared for their next fight because there's pipelines all over America. There's proposed projects of mineral extraction all across the world. So bringing awareness to it, but it's kind of like getting the shift to happen, saying like, Getting more of all of you guys willing to participate in this physically. Like make making the decision that you are going to be part of the solution. Um, and I think if we actually come from a broad base of people who are willing to, again, have a little bit of that radical bravery, that's when we're going to see a transformation of the world. Uh, I think our indigenous contingent is, like I said before, still playing a major role wherever we see these mineral extractions and uh, i has you know as one of the people who are part of this movement it does feel like a lot of responsibility on us and i was visiting with joy about this that people, we actually get requests a lot of requests to like come here to do this and sometimes we sometimes we'll show up and like give our words give our appreciation but it's almost like the local communities need to be activated and then bring in the resources that they, that they require. And sometimes it's just a little bit of experience or confidence. Like for me, this is in a lot of ways, this was my first rodeo. Now um, I can talk relatively as an expert about my experience, but I don't, like there's people I know who've been doing this for generations. Um, kind of refocusing back to the question is where does, does this leave this larger movement? We're in incredibly dire straits. <laughs> um, and as being a poet, I write about it a lot. And, like, we're talking about the end of human civilization if we lose this fight. We're talking about the end of human civilization if we lose this fight. So, what's at risk is everything. <coughs> and then you have to weigh your relative amount of comfort versus the end of the entire world as you know. Meet, like, and it's not like we can do small things, you know, water conservation. I'm, I'm in a hotel here, so it's like water conversa- con- con- conservation is incredibly important in California, even with the rain that came back. And it's good to have a daily reminder of it, but it's kind of like you have to look in your heart and find whatever motivation God, spirit, ancestor to connect to, to propel you forward to the next part of your life. And to make sure that the next part of your life is dedicated to, to fighting against climate change. Like we, we always like, in so much in good like movement work, we like to say we don't have enemies. That we're not engaged in a fight. And it's like, but we are. We know where they live. We know where these billionaires keep their money. We know that based off of the status quo of capitalism in America, it's going to keep on going. Right now, we see a coalescence of movements to fight against Trump. But as soon as Trump's gone, will these movements become diffused again, and not understand that we're intimately tied and connected? And at the part of it is—it's uh, what my father calls the resource, or yeah, the extractive economy—that wherever we see outrageous profit in the world, there's something that's being extracted and taken. Whether it's the natural world, other people's labor, that always happens. So if we want to continue to exist as people, we have to dramatically have a revolutionary change in how the status cooperates. And we need unreasonable people. We need incredibly brave, unreasonable people, annoying outliers who we sometimes don't understand to step up and we have to follow their lead. And it's not easy. And it's scary. And it's challenging and uncomfortable. But again you have your comfort or the entire world as you know it
0: well i don't know how i'm going to follow that but <laughs> i'll try um for me honestly like this movement has not stopped has not stopped and since We start using fossil fuels. Um, For this movement right now, it is like, like our friend Mark said, it is dire. I mean, the more time we just sit around and keep using our fossil fuels, that much closer we are to our end. And that's a very scary thing to think about, that we might not be here. It is really scary. But like... We always say, have courage. Find courage in your fear. And for me, I never thought I would live this kind of life. I never thought that I would follow this path to where it has led me right now. And each and every one of us, we don't think like that. We have been told to think a certain way, act a certain way. That is the social norm, that is economically appropriate for this day and age, which is technology, which is using more fossil fuels than we ever have before. With our cell phones, with everything you use today, everything, to your coffee, to your cars, to even your clothes, fossil fuels have been used to make those. And being consciously aware of that and understanding that as soon as you wake up, Being mindful of what you do, even the conversations you have. Being mindful that you are alive and what you do to this earth. Even if it's just starting your day and going to school and hanging out with your friends. What you do each and every day affects this earth and affects your lives. Affects everyone's life. And for us, like being one out of five trillion, we don't really realize how much effect we have. How much your actions can better someone else's. Your actions affect other people. We all, we all should know that, right? But apply that to your life. Right now we don't do that. A lot of people in this world don't do that. We don't, we're not mindful that, oh, this, this coffee I drink or this, this water came from somewhere. It's purified. This water, it came from somewhere. But where our water comes from, where it goes. If you pollute a water, it's gonna ruin someone else way down the river. People people don't really realize that. There's a beginning and there's an end. Either you're at the beginning, what you do affects the end, or if you're at the end, you're kinda SOL. You gotta deal with that. And for us, the fighting pipelines and living our life are the same thing. Because we consciously make this decision to fight a pipeline, to say something. To do something about it, not just sit there and stand by, oh, that's happening. For me, every time I was out on the front lines, even if I was doing media, I always told them, like, if you're watching this right now, do something about it. Don't cry. Don't just get mad. Do something. If it makes you feel like that, you have the power to change it. Just like I I always tell my friends back at home who are have this state of mind that has been scarred into our blood, that we don't matter, that our voice don't matter, that we're expendable. With Dakota Access, it was environmental racism on my people, saying that Bismarck was more precious than our water, because the pipeline was supposed to be going through Bismarck when it was made, but they decided to put it on Standing Rock instead. The actions that person made affected our lives. That one decision, each and every decision you make throughout your life affects someone else. We need to be mindful of that. To not be ignorant of what land you're on, what planet you're on, what water is. Water is not just something that's just there. It's a necessity. We need it. We need water. But we don't we don't need Mercedes-Benzes. We don't need iPhone, iPhone 7s. I mean, come on, guys. We don't we don't need those things. We've been living thousands of years without it. But right now through media <coughs> and through through the news even we've been told different things. Either you listen to the people around you or you listen to yourself. You gotta learn to take orders from yourself before you give them to other people. That is like number one rule with us. You gotta learn to listen to yourself instead of being influenced by other people. And for us, this movement when I can contribute, what I have been is just my voice, my time, my energy, my body, my blood. That's all. Just one person, even one person taking that one step, it can change everything. Cause when in this beginning there were only five people. We never thought it would get this big. We never thought I'd be running across the country. I never someone told me that about, about twenty years ago, I'd be like, You're crazy. <laughs> that I'm not doing that. But it happens. It does. Life happens. No matter what, you have today. We don't have tomorrow. The time is now. We need to act now. That's why I came here. Because right now we're fighting KXL at our home that's going straight through our own community. For us, there's no coming back from that. If that pipeline breaks, my people will have no home. We will have no water. We will have nothing to give to our children. Our land is the only thing we have left. Our land and our blood. And for us, this is this is no joke. This isn't playing around. This isn't just some news on the television. For us, it's real life. It's a real problem. I we'll, will gladly give my life to stop this pipeline. Because my life compared to trillions of others, it's an easy easy thing to pay. But what you can contribute is your actions. Stand up, do something. Each and every one of you can be a water protector. It doesn't, take, it doesn't take no spiritual power. It doesn't take a pipe. It doesn't take anything. All it takes is that you stand up and do something about it. To have courage. Fight through that fear. Be who you really are. All of us are indigenous in this room. We all came from somewhere. We all have a home. You just need to stand up and fight for it. If you won't, we will. No matter what.
1: Um, exit at this point
2: (laughs) I do have one brief short thing to say Um, one of those things about actions about movement about Standing Rock that I was participated in and I'm looking at it now differently is there's this paternalistic need to keep people safe and instead of respecting other water protectors and my entire job I felt at the beginning was to keep people safe And as we evolve and we have to learn how to respect one another, we have to learn how to respect other people's forms of resistance and their own individual sovereignty as indigenous people, as water protectors. And it's one of the last contributions I'll have to this moment. So thank you all. We're not
1: there yet. Um, It's hard to find. We're not stopping. That was just to let uh, Mark exit, so please don't leave. Um, I'd I'd like to, um, first I'd like to wish Mark a safe journey, and thank you very much for coming, and I'd like to turn this over to Joy to respond.
3: Be safe, Mark. Later,
0: Mark. Love
1: you.
3: Mark tells everybody. <laughs> was it climate justice?
1: It was just what's next.
3: What's next? Yeah. Holy and smokes! And climate justice was part of that question.
0: Yeah.
3: So one of the things I keep telling everybody wherever I go around the country is that you can be a water protector too. Wherever you live in the world, wherever you live, especially here in the United States, Canada or Central America, or South America, wherever you live, within 200 miles of where you live, you are going to find a water fight. I've actually mapped this out. <laughs> wherever you live, you're gonna find a water fight. Right here in Santa Barbara, you guys got a water fight. A Couple of years ago, I got a phone call. They were having some sort of Hollywood big wig thing and they were sitting on a table. Somebody calls me up. And they're saying, uh, pipeline broke. I said, where? Santa Barbara, Oh crap. Well, they better get on it. But you guys got a water fight here. Wherever you go, you got water fights. You guys seen that with all the droughts and everything that's going on? This is the climate change that's happening. Right now in South Dakota, they're saying a four letter word, S-N-O-W. It never snows after Mother's Day. (laughs) Climate change. Climate justice. Environmental racism. Indigenous people are always on the front line when it comes to these projects. There are monsters in the world. Let there be no doubt about it. There are monsters in this world. One of them is named Kelsey Warren. Another one is called TransCanada. Exxon. Sonico. How do you say that one over the uranium mine? Azargo. Azargo. Trying to go into the Black Hills. Our sacred. Garden of Eden. Sacred Black Hills. It's not just pipelines. It's mountaintop removal. It's coal ash. It's refineries.
0: It's Huh? Nuclear power
3: plant. Oh yeah, nuclear power plants and the waste disposable. They're trying to do injection well testing eight miles from border of my reservation. Uranium bore mine testing. They want to put nuclear waste eight miles south of my reservation. So Cheyenne River has actually four water fights going on right now. And uh, the reason why they target Cheyenne River is because uh, one, we beat Custer, he got sued. And two, uh, we were the last, last of the four bands to actually move on to the reservations. And uh, remember 1851, Fort Laramie Treaty, and 1868, Fort Laramie Treaty, we, the Lakota, Dakota, Nakota, Arapaho, Cheyenne, Irikara, Mandan, Hitatsu, and all the other ones, we did not surrender to the United States government. They surrendered to us. Don't forget that. So we're the only ones that made the United States government bow, bend down to their knees to us.
2: You've been listening
0: to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.